We're going to be talking about the subject of spiritual warfare, and I'm going to jump right into the lesson because I do have a lot of material. I will tell you from the outset that this is going to be somewhat of a challenge because this is one of those lessons that as you're putting it together, and those of you who have prepared lessons and presented lessons can, can relate to this, it's one of those that you start out with a, just a, a basic outline and you kind of know what you want to talk about, but as you begin to develop it, it just grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And so it's, it's, probably more, um, it's probably more than I ought to be presenting in the amount of time that I have. And the lesson's not any, even going to be anywhere near exhaustive as far as dealing with the material that we have to present. Um, I've got a group of ladies uh, back home where I preach that do a really good job keeping me honest and critiquing my, my, my preaching. And the leader of that group just so happens to be my wife. But um, anytime I, I present a lesson that's too much, they usually come up and tell me that. You know, that's, that's too much. You know, that's information overload. And so it's going to be a real challenge for me not to do that with the material that I have this morning and, um, and the interest that I have in this subject. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Uh, Jimmy mentioned earlier that we'd be talking about um, the devil, demons, and angels. But actually, we're going to be talking about a lot more than just that. Um, the first lesson is going to be devoted to Satan and demons. And then the second lesson is going to be devoted to the subject of angels. And then the third lesson is going to be devoted to the subject of the Holy Spirit. And again, three lessons on those subjects. There's no way that you can approach those, those topics in an exhaustive manner with only three lessons. So I'm hoping that I can whet your appetite for further study and that I will expose you to some things that will open up your spiritual eyes to the, to the reality of the unseen world. That is, the world that we look to and that we understand from the study of our scriptures as being the domain of spiritual warfare. I think one of the problems that I have seen in my life and that I've seen in the lives of many Christians is just a basic failure to recognize this reality. Paul made it very clear in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. He said that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now you have to stop and think about that statement. First there is the word struggle. And we know what that means. That means that there is a challenge or there is a battle that we all face in our lives as Christians. And what Paul does with this one verse is he takes our minds out of the physical world and puts them into the spiritual world. He says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and that's here. But our struggle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places against the world forces of this darkness. Now, if that statement doesn't scare you, then you haven't thought enough about it. If that passage doesn't shake you up just a bit, then you're not seeing through the eyes of faith the unseen world that we can see through a study of the Scriptures that helps us understand that there is this battle taking place in the spiritual realm. And it is a battle that affects our lives each and every day. 
And that battle begins with Satan. It begins with our enemy. And that's why we're going to begin this series on the subject of spiritual warfare by putting our minds on the game plan of the enemy as well as the leader of the army and those spiritual forces that are waging war against us. We need to familiarize ourselves. As Christians, we need to familiarize ourselves with the leader of these spiritual forces who stands in opposition to God and to those who would follow him. Let's just talk a few minutes about Satan. The first reference to the devil is in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. We're familiar with the, the creation account. And we know that at some point after God created the heavens and the universe and all that are contained therein, including man and woman, Satan appeared on the scene of human history. And he tempted Eve to sin. Eve sinned, Adam followed, and the rest, as they say, is history. We go to uh, Revelation chapter 12 and we see that this serpent who is not identified in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, this tempter. We see that this serpent in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, chapter 12 and verse 9, is identified as the devil or Satan who is our enemy. We need to understand that Satan is a created spiritual being who later sinned against God. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, there is a very insightful statement made by the Apostle Paul in regards to creation and the role that Jesus, the Son of God, played in the creation. We read in Colossians 1 and verse 16, for by him, that is Jesus, all things were created. Everything was created by Christ, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. In other words, things that you can see were created as well as things that you cannot see. Now notice the language of verse 16 as it continues and keep in mind Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Remember the passage we just looked at a moment ago? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the, the spiritual forces the in the heavenly places. Here, Paul says that the things that were created in terms of those things invisible are further defined as thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So when we see Satan in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 as existing, we don't know when his existence began. But we do know that all things, visible and invisible, were created by Christ. So at some point in time, Satan came into existence. At some point in time, all of those spiritual beings were created. And certain of those spiritual beings later sinned against God. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, the apostle Peter writes... In regards to those angels, he said that God did not spare them when they sinned, but he cast them into hell and he committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Basically the same thing is said over in the book of Jude, verse 6. So Satan is a created being. I believe that he was an angel of a higher order 
who rebelled against God, Jude verse 6 tells us that they left their domain. God created them and put them in a certain position of authority. They rebelled against God and God cast them out. And they are reserved for judgment. Now this is beyond the scope of this lesson, but when we get to the New Testament period, we see a lot of demonic activity. We don't see that in the Old Testament. We know that Satan's at work, but we see demonic activity taking place in a very special and in a very unique way during the time of the ministry of Jesus. I believe that, that certain of those demons were released. And it was an opportunity for God through Christ to show his power over the enemy. I believe that those demons still play a role in this area of spiritual warfare. But moving further, Satan is not alone, as we just noted, in this work. The work that he engages in in standing in opposition to God. I'll not take the time to look at all the passages that we have cited here. But if you look at these passages, and there are many others in addition to the ones that I have cited, what you see is that Satan has an army. Satan is not like God. He's, he's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. He, he can't be in all places at all times. He is, he is an entity. He is a spiritual being. He can't be here and on the other side of the earth at the same time. Now, I'm not going to tell you much more beyond that because I don't know much more beyond that. But I do know that he is not alone. He has help in the work that he engages in in this area of spiritual warfare. In this judgment scene in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus said at the end he's going to say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's always been an interesting statement. What that says is that, that hell was not prepared for sinful man. God did not create hell for you and I. He created hell for Satan and his angels. But those who follow Satan and his angels, those who refuse to follow God, will have fellowship with Satan and the angels in eternity in this place of punishment. Those who engage in righteous acts and who obey God will have fellowship in this life as well as in the life to follow. So this gives us some very basic information then about Satan, about demons. We also know that, that these demons work through human agency. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when Paul was writing about eating meat sacrificed to idols. In chapter 10 of the book of 1 Corinthians and verse 20, Paul makes the statement that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. And this, again, is where we see the, the, the spiritual activity spilling over into the physical realm. The Gentiles worshipped idols. Well, what was the driving force behind pagan idolatry? 
Those idols didn't just suddenly appear from nowhere. And man did not get the idea for idols from the Holy Spirit of God, from God's revelation, from the Bible. It had to come from someplace. Well, we see here that when they sacrificed to idols, they were sacrificing to demons. So the demons in the spiritual realm were at work and influencing men to believe what was a lie, and that is to worship idols. Now, there are several terms and phrases in the scriptures that are used to describe the nature of the devil. And again, what's our objective here? Well, if we're going to engage in spiritual warfare, if we're going to play that game, and we need to, we must play that game, if we're going to survive spiritually, then we need to know the enemy. And I'll tell you what getting to know the enemy will do for you. It'll help you to see the enemy whenever you face the enemy in life. It'll help you to know when you are living your life under the influence of the devil. Because the devil is described with certain character traits. And when we find ourselves exhibiting those same character traits, what that should tell us then is that we are under the influence of the devil. The Bible says that Satan is the tempter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul is talking about Christians in the city of Thessalonica, in the church at Thessalonica, who are being tempted by Satan. Now, I've mentioned and I will continue to mention how that this spiritual warfare, the things that are taking place in the spiritual realm, spill over into the physical. Well, the temptation that Paul is describing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 was the persecution and the affliction that Christians were suffering as the result of the activity of Jews who refused to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. So if you were a, a non-religious person and you were living in the, the city of Thessalonica and you were watching what was happening and you were seeing Christians who were being persecuted by Jews, it would never have occurred to you that there was something taking place in the spiritual realm that was spilling over into the physical realm. But if you open your eyes through a study of the scriptures to the possibilities of what is taking place in that spiritual realm so that you can see the unseen, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 again and understand what's taking place, you know that Satan and his demons were influencing those Jews to persecute Christians. He is the tempter. He tempted Christ for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He tempted him to sin. He is also described as Beelzebul, who is the ruler of the demons. He is further described as the enemy in the parable of the tares and the wheat. Look at Matthew chapter 13. In that particular parable, what Jesus is describing is the reality that within the church... At any given moment in time, there are going to be those who are saved, living in fellowship with God, living in fellowship with Christ, and there are going to be those who are not. 
In Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, Jesus said, The enemy who sowed the tares is the devil. Again, you see the spiritual realm reaching into the physical realm so that Satan is influencing the lives of individuals who are Christians. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Now he is also described in this particular parable as the evil one. You look back up in verse 38, the field is the world and as for the good seed, which is God's word, these are the sons of the kingdom that are being uh, grown through the influence of the word of God and the tares are the sons of the evil one. But again, do you see the picture that the Bible presents of our enemy, of the spiritual forces of darkness? Do you see the picture that's being described here? He's the tempter. He's the ruler of the demons. He is our enemy. He is the evil one. And again, I have to look at my life. If I'm giving in to that temptation repeatedly, that Satan is putting before me, and I'm making no effort whatsoever to resist the devil, that I'm living under his influence. I'm living under the influence of demons. And you can't see that. I can come to this building, you can come to this building, and we can all look fine. We all look like everything is okay in our lives. But there is a battle that is taking place within the minds and the hearts of all of God's children. It is a reality that affects every moment of every day of our lives. And the enemy can be winning. And we've sort of allowed ourselves to be lulled into this sense of security such that we never even recognize it. And if we don't recognize it, we're not going to deal with it. And that's exactly where the devil wants us to be. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, he is described as this, this great red dragon. We're going to go back to that passage again. But just think about it. Why would the Bible, why would the Holy Spirit choose that particular language to describe our enemy? It's because it's frightening. It's, it's this idea of this, this grotesque serpent of some proportion that has tremendous power. His tail sweeps away a third of the stars in heaven. And again, it's just, it's power. God wants us to know the power of the enemy. Do not underestimate what it is that you're dealing with. Do, do not allow yourself to be to be uh, convinced that this is not something of, of significance. He is described as being the father of lies. This is why it's so important for us to teach our children, never lie. He is the father of lies. Have you ever met someone that just lies habitually? My wife was telling me the other day about someone in her family. It's always her family where the problems come. Man was a habitual liar. He would lie just for the sake of lying. If, if, and it wasn't anything important. If he, if he had bacon and eggs for breakfast and you ask him, did you have bacon and eggs? He would say, no, I had, I had an omelet today. Just, just to be lying. Well, that's not good. Being dishonest 
is, an, is a sign that we are children of the devil. We talk about white lies. There are no white lies. All lies are black. All lies are dark. There is nothing light about dishonesty. He is also described as the ruler of this world. Now think about that. Jesus himself in John chapter 12. Now think about who's speaking here. Uh, Christ is speaking. And Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 31, Now judgment is, is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I believe that goes back to Revelation chapter 12, where we see this great battle in heaven between Satan and his angels and Michael the archangel and other angels, which battle took place, I believe, when Jesus was crucified and then he was raised from the dead. In the resurrection, Jesus overcame the power of the evil one because he could not be held by death. And that being cast out, I believe, that happened on more than one occasion, but I think that's just a, a statement that, that signifies the fact that Satan was defeated. In, in John chapter 14 and verse 30, but note again in uh, John chapter 12 that he's called the ruler of this world. In John chapter 14 and verse 30, Jesus said, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. And then chapter 16 and verse 11, in describing the work of the Holy Spirit, one aspect of that work is judgment through the word that would be spoken because the ruler of this world has been judged. And again, why do we, why do we uh, take a moment to reflect upon that passage? It's, it's because, again, it, it shows us the power that Satan manifests and, and the fact that even Christ recognized that power. Now, he's no match, obviously, for God. He's no match for Jesus. In fact, he's no match for us if we will engage in spiritual warfare and take advantage of the tools and the resources that we have in Christ and if we will but resist him. The Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Amen. So you think about all the power and all that is said about Satan. You have more power. You have more power. And the power comes to you in this struggle that is not against flesh and blood but against the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, the power comes to you as you resist him. But the problem that most of us face is in our failure to resist him. Now let's move further and ask the question, in what sense is Satan the ruler of this world? In, in what sense is, is that true? Well, the term world, as we see it in Scripture, it's a significant concept. It applies to the rule of Satan, and it refers to this conglomerate system of thought and activity that opposes God. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia describes this use of the term world as humanity in its sinful aspect, the spirit and forces of fallen humanity regarded as antagonistic to God and to good. So the word world is used in more than one sense in the scriptures. It is used in regards to the physical creation, but it is also used in 
regards to this system. It's a system of thought. And it is a part of our existence here upon this earth. It is a part of the unseen, but it is also a part of the seen. In that, what we can see with our eyes often falls under the rule or the domain of Satan. I think we see this in the media. I think we see this through much of the activity that takes place on the Internet. This is one of the reasons why I have such sympathy for teenagers. I have one teenager, one who just turned 20, and I've been going through these teenage years and working with teenagers, and I tell you, they face things that you and I did not face. And I know that that challenges have always been present for all of us in this spiritual realm, but electronic devices, electronic devices are just wreaking havoc with kids, with teenagers. And and it's not just pornography. It's, It's the constant communication that they have with one another and with those who are evil. And forgive me for sounding negative, but at least where I come from, most of the teenagers are evil. (laughs) And again, I don't mean that to speak negatively. I speak that with much sympathy and care and concern and love in my heart because they are facing battles that they're just not equipped to face. I've had conversations with teenagers who have given over, have been given over to sin, and I I listen to them, and they say, I just can't handle this. And they're right. They're not lying about that. I mean, they are being bombarded with things that they just cannot handle. And so we need to be sympathetic to that, and we need to be praying for them, and we need to be mindful, and we need to watch. We got to watch what our kids are doing. We need to monitor their activity. You know, HIPAA doesn't apply in my house. We, my kids, I don't, we don't have any privacy policies other than the fact that there is no privacy. You know, sometimes my, I'm glad my teenage daughter didn't come. This gives me a chance to talk about her. But, but uh, you know, she gets really upset when we monitor her activity on her cell phone and you know, there's Instagram, and there's, um, I mean, there's just, there's so much. You know, I would never have known about any of it were it not for the fact that I had teenagers. But you have to monitor all this activity, and, and we tell them, you've got to give us your password. Ten o'clock every night, your cell phone comes downstairs. And we're going to be on it, and we're going to be looking at stuff. And, and we've, we know where they're at. Um, as long as, that's, that's the good thing about the cell phone. You can track them. <laughs> you can know at any moment where they're at. Now, kids are geniuses. I mean, they'll, you've you got to always stay one step ahead because they'll figure out some way to, to beat the system. That's why, this, that's why one of these days, you know, these kids are going to come out of all this bad stuff and, and they're going to be geniuses with electronics and they're going to be running the world because of what they're learning right now as teenagers not in school, but with their electronic devices. 
But again, I believe that that's, that's just such an effective tool for Satan. All the stuff that kids have to deal with now. So we, we've got to stay in the game and we've got to be familiar with what the tools are so that we can help our kids to deal with what they are not capable of dealing with them themselves. Satan rules over all that opposes God. The child of God cannot live in alignment with this world. You cannot. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, James said in no uncertain terms, James chapter 4 and verse 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Now what are we talking about as far as the world? Well, we just defined that. It's humanity and its sinful aspect. The spirit and forces have fallen. Humanity regarded as antagonistic to God and to good. You can't be a friend with that system. You cannot, because if you are, then you are an enemy of God. Ask yourself the question right now. Ask yourself the question. In whose camp do you find yourself? We talk about teenagers. Well, we adults do the same things. We just do them in adult ways at, a, at the adult level. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that because an inspired apostle just said it. Well, if we know that, then we must avoid that world. And as a child of God, I have a responsibility to look at my life and examine myself to see whether or not I'm in the faith and to see whether or not I'm a friend of that world. Now, Satan's rule in the world is manifest through his evil schemes. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. There's a couple of terms here that you need to know. In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11... Paul wrote, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now, this was an apostle, obviously, writing. And he said that Satan has certain schemes. He has a game plan. <coughs> now, what's good about this statement is that Paul said we're not ignorant of that game plan. Everything that you need to know about Satan, Everything you need to know about his demons and spiritual warfare and things that take place in the spiritual realm that affect you here on this earth, everything you need to know about that has been revealed by God in his word. Now, it's not in one chapter with a heading, this is all you need to know about the devil. It's like everything else in the Bible, it's, it's just spread throughout, and that's why Bible study, study of all that is in the Bible, is so important. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, the verse immediately preceding the one we began with in this lesson, Paul commands us to put on the full armor of God so that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Again, that tells me that I can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. God does not expect of us what we are not capable of doing. But I've got to pull up, put on the full armor of God. And I want to suggest to you that not only 
Does that involve studying what is in this chapter as far as the armor of God? But it's studying everything else that pertains to this, this area of spiritual warfare. The term schemes or devices refers to perception of thought. I want you to think about this. It, it refers to perception of thought. So Satan operates within the sphere of the human mind. This is why if you could put yourself in a closet, turn off the light, and stay there for three weeks, just let somebody slide you a plate under the door, there's, there's no media, there's no books, there's no TV, there's nothing but you alone in that closet. Would you or would you not find yourself tempted within that three-week period? I don't know about the rest of you, but I think I can say with confidence, there's going to be some temptation. Even in that closet, something is going to come into my mind that will tempt me to sin. Notice what I said, come into my mind, because there are no external influences. So the schemes of Satan, that term helps me to understand that he operates within the sphere of the human mind. Now here's a passage that I think helps us to see that even more clearly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, Paul wrote that we are destroying, and he's doing this through the preaching of God's word, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge, look at that word, the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The word that is translated thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 is the same word that we found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 that is translated schemes. So Satan operates within the sphere of the human mind. This is why the monk approach does not work. This is why the monastery approach does not work. You can't go and, and, and isolate yourself and sit on the top of a mountain and think that you're going to find spiritual utopia and never again face any kind of temptation. Because Satan, unless you can leave your mind somewhere else, which you can't. So, this term implies that Satan has a plan. He has a plan. He's going to work. He schemes against us through deception and evil people. He works through evil people. Don't let him work through you. Realize that there are people who will come into your sphere of influence, who can influence you who are allowing themselves to be friends of the world, who have given over their minds to Satan, who is in complete control of almost every thought. And those people are going to influence you. That's the plan that Satan has. You're not going to wake up one morning and see this big red dragon standing in your room you would know that was the devil. And you'd be afraid of him. And you did everything you could to destroy him to the extent that you have any ability to do so. 
he's going to be disguised as an angel of light. He's going to make whatever it is that he puts in front of you look good. Think about the way he tempted Eve. He took what God had put in the garden and he, he enticed her through the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. And he made what he put before her look very good, didn't he? And she gave in to it. She sinned. Now, three things about Satan, and we'll close this lesson. First, the first thing is, this is we're looking at the schemes. We're looking at the devices. First, and we've already noted this, Satan lies. The devil lied to Eve about the consequences of, of eating, not earing, the forbidden fruit. He then sought to deceive Eve by making her believe that the outcome of her action would be favorable. As God said, you'll die. You won't die, you'll be like God. That was deception. You know how this works in your own life. You think about your habitual sin. You know how you're going to feel on the other side of that, don't you? Once you've committed that sin, you know how you're going to feel. You're not going to feel very good. But going into it, you forget that, don't you? Going into that, you think this is going to be good. The passing pleasure of sin. That's Satan lying to you. He's operating within the sphere of your mind to make you think, once again, this is going to be good. And then at the end of it, you know otherwise. False religion is evidence of Satan's ability to deceive mankind. The passage that I have cited here in the Corinthian correspondence, Paul writes about Satan being disguised as an angel of light. He writes about false apostles. What's a false apostle? Someone that doesn't teach the truth. I don't believe people who teach error wake up one day and say, I'm going to join Satan's army, and I'm going to teach that which is contrary to the scriptures. And I'm going to deceive others to believe what is a lie. I don't think that thought ever goes through any of their minds. I think they are sincere, good people, just like you and I, who have believed a lie, just like you and I do. The only difference is somewhere along the way, we, we, we came upon the truth and we believe that the scriptures are the truth and that they are our standard of authority and that there is only one way to God. But again, Satan operates within that realm of deceit. Second thing we see is that Satan accuses. He accused Job of serving God only for personal earthly gain. Upon the Jews' return from Babylonian captivity, Zechariah saw Satan in a vision accusing Joshua, the high priest, of sin. And what that signified was that even in their return from captivity, Satan knew about God's plan. He knew that there was going to be the restoration of this righteous remnant through whom the Messiah would come. And at every step along the way, Satan was doing everything possible to thwart the plan and the purpose of God. And he does that through accusation, accusing God's people. He stands condemned before God himself as a sinner, and it is the desire of the devil that all share his fate. And by the way, this is why you need to watch. When you stop believing 
that you can have confidence and assurance of your salvation. What's happening is that Satan and his work of accusing God's people is having an influence upon your thought process. Your doubt in your eternal salvation, that didn't come from God. That came from Satan. And then the final point that I would make in the minute, minute we have remaining is that Satan, Satan destroys. He is destructive in the way that he operates. He seeks to destroy every good thing in life. Revelation chapter 9 verses 1 through 11 describes judgment that came against the Roman Empire in the form of God giving evil men over to their sin. Read that passage. It's not a very pretty picture of what sin does to a person. He does this through tempting us to sin. He sought to destroy Jesus at birth, during the period of temptation, and then at death. And in the same way, his desire is to sift us like wheat. He wants to destroy us. And so in this realm, in this matter of spiritual warfare, knowing that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, we need to recognize his schemes, his game plan to lie, to accuse, and to destroy. And when we see that influence in our lives, we need to resist it. We need to resist it. Now, I'm going to put a peg right there because that's the end of this lesson. And what we're going to talk about in our next lesson, as we said earlier Satan's not alone. We aren't either. We're going to talk about angels and their role in this spiritual warfare. And then at the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to share some things with you about the Holy Spirit that I think you need to know and that you might not have thought about as we wage spiritual warfare with Satan. Thank you for your time.